Good morning. Um, so I did ask the guys to put the heat up, but I think because of the age of this uh, building, that probably won't be very effective. So uh, please mind the temperature. Um, you guys can feel free to keep your coats on and stuff. But um, like chang said, welcome to church and thanks for braving the weather. We were actually legitimately debating whether or not the cold would keep uh, people from coming. So we're glad that you're here. Um, and I, for those of you who walked and did an Uber here, uh, you should let us know so we can have more respect for you. <laughs> uh, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. I oversee the Compassion Mercy Justice Ministry as well as the college, um, university, and um, worship ministries. And uh, today we are in week two of our series, God, Sexuality, and Relationships. And for the entire month um, from last week... Uh, and today and two more weeks following, we're going to be going over this topic. Uh, Something that Pastor Bill mentioned in in the beginning of the series last week was how sexuality and romance and and gender, all those kind of things are something that go with us forever. You don't, it doesn't leave your body or your mind. It's a part of who we are. It's a fabric of a lot of our identity and our being. And so uh, as a pastoral staff, we thought we have to address this type of thing, Uh, not just in sermons, but also in our small groups, and not just once every once, like every once in a while, but regularly. And uh, we hope that as you guys are here on Sunday mornings, and also as you uh, discuss this kind of stuff over your small groups, that um, it's very life-giving. Uh, we've already received many emails, um, have heard a lot of feedback from some of the community groups, and so uh, we just encourage you guys to really press into each other and as we try to figure this, you know, this very big thing together um, in a way that honors God. So, um, I'm week two, and I'll also be preaching next week, uh, but let me pray for us and we can jump into this one. God, we thank you for the way that you've created us. Um, we thank you that in your uh, infinite and perfect wisdom that you fashioned us just exactly the way that you want us to be. Um, and at the same time, Lord, we recognize, and, and obviously you know, that um, our sin and our flesh inside of us uh, is a battle that will go with us for the rest of our lives. But what you're doing in us through the work of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word is you continue to refine us and make us more holy. And while we're not uh, expecting to be perfect tomorrow, we do want to ask that you would empower us and even charge us, Lord God, to pursue that holiness, that every day we would just want to take that one little baby step closer and closer to Christ-likeness, And that it wouldn't just be for us to accomplish something, but first and foremost would be unto your glory and to better the community and to love those around us. That this world would be a better place because the disciples of Jesus strive to be more like him. So Father, we put everything before you, our time, our energy, um, even as we just gave our resources, um, especially our areas of sexuality and of romance and of relationships. They were yours that you have first given us. And so, Father, just in the same way, we want to give it back to you and pray that you would help us to honor you through these things. So be with us. uh, Give us hearts and minds that are attentive and fertile. And uh, we pray that you would do a mighty work in transforming our hearts today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you have ever been the, like, asker, the speaker, or the listener in receiving the, this question, what do you look for in a guy or a girl? Let's see a show of hands. I assume it's going to be like pretty much everybody, right? You've either said this 
to a friend, or maybe you were having pillow talk at night, or, or somebody said this to you. Oh, so like, what do you think about this and that? Um, a lot of us have some sort of list, right? We have some sort of criteria of what we look for in a romantic partner, and eventually, hopefully, a spouse. Like, I want my future husband to have these qualities, or my future wife to have these qualities. So, my wife, Unji, also had an answer to this question that I would like to show you to see if whether I measure it up or not. So, the first was this. And I met one of those. Maybe not the tall part, but skinny, right? So she wanted a lanky guy and was pretty clear on how when somebody, when her friends would ask her, she was like, oh, I, I re- for some reason I really like the lanky body type. Her other thing was that she wanted somebody with tattoo sleeves. So I, I'm not going to take this off, but I do not have tattoo sleeves on my arms. So strike two. And my all-time favorite, not a pastor. <laughs> Joke's on you, right? Where, where are you? Oh, over there. Um, <laughs> so this was her list of, that she wanted in a guy. And I know that all of us have some, some, something similar. And what I've been realizing, I've been thinking more about relationships, and you know, not just for this series, but even over the counseling of, our, of you guys, of our people who are, whether dating or married, there's two things that I hear pretty often in our culture. One is, is this, that we have standards, we have criteria, we have a list of things that we want, a, a filter of sorts of how we want to approach romance and who we want to be our significant other. And I don't know if this is sad, but the second thing that's kind of paired with it that I hear so often is, oh, but there's nobody for me. There's nobody in my school or there's nobody at church that I'm interested in. There's just no guys. Like, we're all the guys. Like, I need to move to California because there's no guys in Boston. Like, that's, ooh, that's what I hear pretty often, that we have a list We have standards, we have some sort of uh, bar that needs to be passed, but at the same time, there's nobody around. So it got me thinking, if that's true, that there are so few choices, I wonder if if it's for the reason that so many of us spend so much careful and high and, and, and like energy-filled attention into expecting highly of the other while not expecting highly of ourselves. And if we're all doing this, right, if we all have a bar up here and we're looking and nobody meets that bar, wouldn't it make sense that all of us would feel like, oh, there's nobody for me? Because we're all doing the same thing. We're all focusing on what the other person can offer and what the other person is about, how high their character is, what their characteristics are, and not ourselves. One thing that uh, uh, Andy Stanley, a pastor in Georgia, uh, prescribes is for churches is, is this line. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. So the idea is that we're, we spend so much on the other, but what if we were to change that around? And in our pursuit of dating, of relationships, of romance, of eventually marriage— And even in marriage, too. So this isn't just a single person's sermon. What if we were to change that around and put the attention onto me, onto my character, onto whether I measure up, onto whether the person that I want to eventually marry me would want me to begin with, whether I'm becoming the person I'm looking for is looking for. 
I know that usually during relationship series, we uh, expect to hear the pastors or or small group time talk about the ABCs of Christian dating and relationships and romance. We we expect to hear, like, uh, the boundaries within sex, what's okay and what's not okay before marriage. We expect to hear, like, I don't know, we can talk about homosexuality as that's like a hot topic issue in gay marriage. And we expect to hear all these things. But what I want to do today isn't so much talk about those things and the ABCs and, and who... Uh, your, your future si- significant other is going to be and this prospective person that we don't even know, I want to talk about us. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. And I want to talk about how we become. And I wonder if the more we focused on becoming and having the fulfillment of becoming ourselves, how much better your future or your current relationship would be. So what we're going to do is we're going to look into the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus. Um, So you can either open up your Bibles or you can look up here with me. We're going to be reading uh, Titus chapter 2, and it's really short, so we're going to be reading the entirety of the chapter. So Titus chapter 2, starting from verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love the husbands and children and be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be able to be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself people who are for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the book of Titus is another one of the Apostle Paul's letters that he sends. And he's sending this to a guy named Titus who's on Crete. And basically it's just to instruct the church. Hey, Titus, these are my words. Share them with the people there. And you'll notice, or you, you notice as we read, the Apostle Paul addresses four groups, of, or five groups, but in, in, for today's purposes we're going to focus on the four of Older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And he goes through different aspects of high and godly character. And, and, you know, we just read it, and you have it in your Bible, so I don't need to read from top to bottom again. But just in summary, so some of the things he talked about was, for older men, he said, be sound in faith and love. Older women, to teach what is good. Younger women, to love their husbands and children. Younger men, to be a model of good works. Now, there's no argument here, right? All of us, if we were to go back and to read the whole list, including this short summary of it, would love that. 
What if in your community, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your apartment building, everywhere you went, you could say this of the people around you? You would love that. We would all win if all the older ladies who are walking around are teaching and raising up the younger generation well. If old men were sound in their faith and love, all of us would win. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, teach these things to the church to give attention to their character. And one, there's only one, so as much as there are differences in what he prescribes to the different type of person, there's one thing that he mentioned four times in these short verses, to be self-controlled. He says that of all the groups. He says these different things to the younger women versus the older women, but to all groups, he says, be self-controlled. So Paul wants the church to hear that all of us ought to be striving for that growth and development and sharpening and shaping of our character, of our self-control. Um, in 2006, uh, there was a documentary that came out from the BBC called Planet Earth. Have, has anybody seen that before? Planet Earth? Uh, I remember when it came out, because this was also when, like, HD was starting to become, like, a, a normal thing. And, like, you know, they, they spent the most money ever and took the longest time ever for, for any nature documentary at the time. And uh, it's on Netflix right now, actually, if you're interested. But there was a segment that I wanted to show you on birds in the jungles uh, episode. And it's two and a half minutes long. But there's so many parts of the documentary, and I highly encourage you to watch it, that are so amazing and things that you've never seen before. But uh, there's a small thing on birds that... I would like us to uh, direct our attention to. So it's two and a half minutes long. In the great island of New Guinea, there are 42 different species of birds of paradise, each more bizarre than the last. is so rich that nourishing food can be gathered very quickly. That leaves the male six-plumed bird of paradise with time to concentrate on other matters, like tidying up his display area. Everything must be spick and span. is ready. Very impressive, but no one is watching. The superb bird of paradise calls to attract a female. And he has more luck. But what does he have to do to really impress her?
She retires to consider her verdict. It's hard not to feel deflated when even your best isn't good enough. Alright, so if you haven't seen the, the, the documentary before, you have to watch it. Cause, so, so there are hours and hours of footage on these types of things happening around the world that you've never seen before. And it shows that so much of the animal kingdom is built around this type of thing, right? They, they're born, and they kind of, David Attenborough and his amazing voice, kind of walks you through this process of so many different types of species of animals and insects. And all they're about, pretty much, is their function is to sleep find food and compete with other animals for food and find a mate to reproduce. And it's just repeated over and over. For this one, it was the birds of paradise. For all the other ones in the, in the documentary, it's just how animals eat, fight for food, how they survive in their habitats, and how they reproduce. Obviously, in the, in, so that's the animal kingdom. Obviously, in God's kingdom, it's, it's multi-layered. It's much more than that. We're the only being in all creation that is made in the image of God, we have a greater intelligence. And so it's our purpose and why we exist on this earth is so much of greater significance. But, but I think that sometimes we bring ourselves down to this level of the animal kingdom. And by presenting or, or, or putting so much disproportional attention into what like, something like a bird would do. So, like the bird of paradise, we clean ourselves on the outside. So he's like, you know, using his beak to like wipe the branch. And we do the same thing. We may have not everything put together inside, but we make sure that we're well uh, presented on the outside to those around us. Um, The bird would do that, like mating call, right? Like to get the bird's attention. We kind of do the same thing too. When we're around somebody we're attracted to or somebody who who may have a crush on us, like girls, you kind of put your voice a little bit higher and speak cutesy. And guys like try to be all like smooth, like, hey, you want to do Bible study? Like, you know, like (laughs) try to be all slick. And then at the same time, like the amount of attention to appearance, right? Like the amount of time that we stand into a mirror and look and stare at our faces, and then our outfits, and makeup, and our hair, and how things are. All, like, I have to be, you know Mean Girls, when, when Lindsay Lohan just sees the cafeteria as, like, animals? I see the same thing here. We're all like, ah, ah, you know, like, like, puffing ourselves up. We do the same thing as the birds of paradise. But we know there is so much more significance to life than appearance. We know that the weight of the importance of what you really want and need in your life is greater than appearance. But we're like the birds sometimes. When we go into public places or we go into a place where there may be a potential mate that may hear, it's our call and our, and our little dances and our appearance that we focus so heavily on. So if you, if you don't necessarily agree that you fit, focus heavily on it and, and, or, or why it's important, I want to ask all of us, so whether you're married right now, whether you are dating right now, or whether you aren't dating but you may have dated before, I want to ask you, the last time you fought, or the last time you broke up with, with, a, with a girlfriend or boyfriend, how many of them were because of appearance? How many arguments have you had with a, an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend or your, your spouse because of their hairstyle or because... They wore something that you didn't want them to wear. 
Or how many, how many of the married folks in here fight with their, their spouses because their clothes are from Target instead of J. Crew or Banana Republic because they're much more expensive? Does your spouse like you more? How many of us have broken up with a boyfriend or girlfriend because of appearance? I don't think any of us. Maybe, maybe a few. Maybe you lost physical attraction, maybe. But something tells me that 99.99%, if not 100, had to do with character. Had to do with being, you fought because somebody was selfish, or somebody was rude, or condescending, or you didn't like the way they communicated something, or they didn't communicate to something at all. You fought or you broke up because you felt that they were neglectful, that they wouldn't be somebody for you in your future. You fought because of a character issue, not because of appearance. So we know what's most important because we felt it. We know that we're not like birds. We're humans. We're, we're in God's kingdom, not in the animal one. And the effort into focusing more on what is important is my first point. That we prioritize, that should say self over there, prioritize character and self-control and you will become the person you're looking for is looking for. So strangely, in your pursuit of romance, put more attention not into the pursuit of romance, but into your pursuit of character development. And I guarantee you that you're setting yourself up for a greater, greater romance than if it were the other way around. If you, uh, this is, you know, kind of speaking to people who are not married, but for those of us who are, uh, I would translate this sentence into prioritize your character and self-control and you will become the person that the person you have already needs. That your spouse needs. You will become that person. In the second half of this passage, uh, Paul sums up why it's important. Why should we grow in our character? Why should older women teach younger women to to be loving and to raise their children? Why should younger men be self-controlled? And I think the crux, like the, 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 the important verse is verse 14. So Titus 2, verse 14, Paul writes, who, uh, Jesus Christ comes before this. So Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God saved us to be a generation for his own, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He did not save us for romance. He did not destine you. Your greatest purpose in this life is not to be a father or to be a husband or wife or to be a boyfriend or girlfriend. Our primary calling is not in romance. Our primary calling is in bearing God's image, being his son and daughter, and loving him and those around us, doing good works and being zealous for them. So this is my second point. God saved us for good works, which leads to good romance. He did not save you so that you could have a great marriage. He wants you to, but our primary call is not in our romantic identity. It is in our sonship and our daughtership. Good romance is not a call on its own. Good romance happens when character and self-control within us produce God-glorifying good works that therein produces fruit in your marriage and your relationships as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend. I think we need to be careful about equating mas- God, uh, God 
godly manhood or womanhood and masculinity and femininity with good dating or good marriage. Because I, th- I, I, I realize, like, a lot of us, we ask, like, hey, like, how do I be a godly man? And, and I think we're always, always thinking, how do I be a good boyfriend? But it's not the same. If you were to remain single your entire life, you'd still fully express your manhood and your womanhood in Christ. So you are not defined by romance. Now, for our purposes of this series, good romance is definitely part of the good works that we ought to be striving for. But again, if we're not focusing on becoming, and if we're not focusing on the good works and that God saved us to be zealous for those good works, which will lead to good romance, what happens? Pain. Disappointment. Hurt. The issue is that if we start looking and all of our attention is into looking and not the becoming, what happens? How much of this world is filled with destruction in romantic relationships, not fruit? From, from the greatest at high levels to like infidelity and divorce to the bottom of, I don't know, making it awkward for friend groups and everything in between. How much is there in this world? And I think it's because we find so much attention to looking and not becoming. A, a, a few months ago, Pastor Hojan preached in a sermon and he brought up Captain Planet as an example. And I don't know if, like, how many of us knew what the heck he was talking about or if you grew up watching Captain Planet, but it, it got me thinking of this when I was thinking of, of, of the becoming thing. Because Captain Planet, for those of you who don't know, it's like the tagline is when our powers combine, right? Like fire, earth, wind, water, and heart get together and then Captain Planet comes out. And I was thinking, what if it was the other way? And I think it kind of is with the hardship and relationship. Because with Captain Planet, it's like when these good things combine, even greater. But we look at what's happening in relationships around the world, and it's like when my impatience and your selfishness combine, like (laughs) why do you think there's so much hard things in relationships? Because we are so bent on looking and the standard, and do you meet that to pass? Versus, I'm concerned about becoming that person. I wonder how much the disciples of Jesus could change romance, could change sex and sexuality, could change the family structure, could change children's uh, upraising. And even bleed over into changing the world if we would stop looking for and demanding the right person and start focusing on becoming the right person. I wonder how much of this world would transform because of that. How many of us have ever, or I don't really need to ask, all of us have, have, have tried out for something before, right? Whether it's you applied to a job or an internship um, to a school, a lot of us, we apply to a bunch of schools or tried out for like a band or music school for some of you for a gig for our Berkeley students, um, a sports team, maybe you tried out for the baseball or softball or, or basketball team in high school. All of us have tried out for something, right? And, and in that trying out procedure or process, 
I think all of us, at least for the most part, maybe some of us are a little bit lazier than the others, put a lot of attention into it, right? So if you were trying out for the baseball team, you probably made sure that your arm strength was good and that you had accuracy with your throws and that you were practicing your swing and your mechanics. Same thing with basketball. You probably stay in the gym and shoot a bunch of free throws until your percentage is high. For those of us who are applying to college, when we were in high school, we probably joined some extracurricular clubs that we never went to just so that you could write it on your resume, or not resume, your uh, college application. You probably played an instrument that you didn't want to so that you could get into the good school. If you were applying for or interviewing for an internship or a job, you probably got more professional-looking clothes and and practiced. uh, What are the five most common questions in an interview? And you practiced and reviewed those. Like, my strengths are this and my weaknesses are this. Or you pad your resume and you ask a friend to edit your cover letter. You know, I think the strange thing with romance for, 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 some, for some odd reason is that we don't do that for some reason as much. When we're applying for a job, we're like the humble interviewee. Or, or interviewee. But I feel like with romance, we like for some reason sit in the power seat and we're like, all right, what do you got? As if you're the one hiring. But when we put in all this attention to insignificant things as to playing on a basketball team versus, I say this all the time, the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life of finding your spouse. Number one is finding Jesus or following Jesus. Number two, your spouse. Nothing is more important than that. When we apply to schools, we like go to uh, tutoring and we take Kaplan's SAT book prep test and we put in all this attention so that we can get the highest score so that when we apply we can show the admissions office look how great I am but for some reason when it comes to romance we switch and we ask the other how great are you how much are you going to impress me so this is what I want to bring our attention to how can we put in the work of as Paul wrote in the letter to Titus, of the type of godly man and woman that he wants us to be, that the Lord Jesus wants us to be, to to develop into. And how can we put that attention of looking into becoming? In application, I want to challenge us all to start committing to something that sharpens our character that leads to good works. So what can you do? What is there an area in your life that Maybe you struggle with a character flaw. That's something you can sharpen and, and, and pay a little bit more close attention to to, to help. Um, the Lenten season is here. It started, Ash Wednesday was, was this week. Um, the practice of fasting and withholding from something and also replacing something, that thing with a greater good in your life is an awesome way to start. That we can find ways to sharpen our character and lead to zealous good works. As an example, I'll share you with mine what I've been kind of committed to for this year, um, which is really simple. Uh, I have two things, the, the character and then the good works. The first is that, uh, I've been, I mean, I've talked to some of you about this, but I've, I've declared the car, like automobile, I call it the sin box because, man, do we become so sinful for some reason while we're driving. And I know that every pastor always comes up and he's like, you know when you're driving in the car and, like, and you honk at somebody, but nobody ever changes that? Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person using car sin illustrations and just joking about them without not doing anything in my life. And it's true. If, I would not want you to see me while I'm driving. For some reason, the impatience level just like, I don't know why. It just happens, right? And so my 
commitment that I made in, for the New Year's resolution in January was that I'm not allowed to touch my horn anymore, so I cannot honk. And if somebody is in front of me and they signal, I have to let them in. Instead of like, 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 you know, like, no more of that. Because I realized my character, I compromise it for some reason in the stupid car. It's a sin box. I don't know. It just happens. So that's, it's very simple. I didn't, you know, commit to something like overbearing and challenging and something I could never accomplish. Just don't touch the horn. Take a breath and let the person go because they're just trying to get into the lane. Um, that was my commitment to character. My commitment to good works of this year is to pay more attention to global issues and missions around the world. I realized that one of the whole, and, and we, I realized this in, during our 10 missional marker series, that that was a big gaping hole in my, in my faith, in my walk with Jesus. That I, I haven't been caring for, for global issues. I haven't been caring for missionaries around the world. So, so early on, um, or in the beginning of the year, and even a little bit before that, Unji and I started... Uh, supporting a a family in Ecuador who's on missions there planting churches. And recently I just bought a missions book so that I can keep myself accountable. Because I could easily just send a check every month. Like that, I already crossed that. But if that becomes routine to me, I'm not going to grow still. So I decided to read a book along with it. So that's just a small commitment. Give a few dollars to a missionary family every month in Ecuador and read and how I can be more connected with my heart and my mind with global missions. So what can you do? Small things, small changes that we can add to sharpen our character and to lead that to a zeal in good works. To start focusing on becoming instead of focusing so much on looking. The next time someone asks you that question that I presented at the beginning, what kind of boyfriend and girlfriend are you looking for? What do you want in a spouse? I hope that whether or not you have an answer, I hope that that's the unimportant answer to the question. I hope that all of us are able to confidently respond, I don't know, maybe these things here and there. But really what I want is for me to be like X, Y, and Z. Really what I want to offer my future wife is a man who is like fill in the blank. I hope that our automatic, our default, what naturally is an outpouring of what's inside of our hearts and our minds is who we want to be for that person. You know, the world tells you, it tells me, it tells us, find someone who's going to make you happy. That's all that matters. Someone who meets all of your needs and someone who exists to fulfill your every command and your happiness. Jesus' example was one of the complete opposite of humility, of selflessness, of getting lower than the other person to serve them. So let's us, let us, as, the, as his disciples, as his followers, commit to a character and spiritual discipline so as to be more like Jesus in our relationships and to inject change into this world in the way that it views romance. And I'll close with this. I've, this isn't my quote. I, I read it in a book. Your best shot at having a beautiful marriage or relationship is if both of you make the goal becoming more like Jesus. Your best shot at having a beautiful marriage or relationship is if both of you make the goal becoming more like Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. God, we know that what you want most for us is um, 
to enjoy you and to, to glorify and to worship you for all of our days. Um, and in that, God, you, you transform us and you want us to be more like Jesus because, because Jesus is the one who perfectly modeled that. He was so deeply in love with his heavenly father that he followed you. He followed the commands. He loved his neighbor as himself. He did everything, Lord, that you asked. And he pleased your heart. And that's what you want for us, Lord, in this life. And it's not an overnight thing. Um, Last week, Pastor Bill uh, encouraged us to remember that we're not going to figure this out overnight. This is a lifelong journey. So, Father, we thank you that you walk alongside of us and you have great patience for us along this lifelong journey. But today, if we can think of something today, if we can resolve or decide to make a change today, I ask is that we would look at what Paul wrote to the church in Crete to Titus, to look at all these beautiful areas of strong character and self-control, and that our resolve would be to embody those things so that we would, because you have saved us and because we love you, produce and, and even overflow in our hearts, O oh God, a, a zeal for good works. And I know that a lot of us here are single. In fact, the majority. And I don't want to downplay sometimes the loneliness or the fear. And so I pray that you attend to their hearts in that regard. Help them to find peace. And in that peace, Lord, grab a hold of their hearts and charge and encourage and strengthen them, Lord, to focus more on the looking, I mean, on the becoming and not the looking. Father, we want to be a church and a generation who restores and redeems sex, relationships, dating, marriage, engagement, courtship, pursuit. Everything. We want to be the church that redeems it all. And we know that it will be redeemed more and more as your church looks more and more like your son. And so that's what we ask that you do inside of our hearts. And what we open our hearts and our hands unto you to ask and invite you into. Because it is your work, Lord, to do in us. Father, I want to pray specifically for these people in front of me. Um... We know how serious this whole sexuality thing can be. And it can weigh heavy on some of our hearts. But God, remind us that our identity is not written up in, in our sexuality, or our relationship history, our mistakes, or our successes, or anything in between. Our identity is written out in being a son and daughter of God who's loved by you. And so help us to take joy in that, And help that to be our strong foundation. That Jesus saved me to be his child and to be for him. So Lord, continue to equip and challenge and sharpen us as we just long to just follow you step by step as each day goes. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.